good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today. I, um, I want to thank the pastoral search committee that spoke before you. Um, I find in them just a, a thrilling example of church health. Um, they are leading us in beautiful ways, and they're owning this process. And I hope you are encouraged, and I ask you to join me in prayer with them. Um, now, today is our first Sunday of Advent. In this Advent season, we are looking to Isaiah's prophecies. Today, that will take us to Isaiah chapter 7. You likely are familiar with Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive... And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's a, it's a familiar verse. It's the kind of verse that we find on Christmas cards. But that verse also has a context. And it's helpful for us to understand the context of this verse. Because that context helps us to see why we need an intentional season of anticipation. Why we need Advent. So to explore that context, I'm going to read and, and explain this passage verse by verse. We're going to go slowly through it. I'm going to sort of teach it as we go. Because I think on some passages that have a lot of names and a lot of locations, we tend to get lost. And so we'll, we'll work our way through it and then make application that I pray will take us to Jesus. And so with that in mind, kids, let me have your attention for a minute. Okay, uh, Here's what I want you to listen for today in this passage, you're going to hear sort of a funny-sounding name. You're actually going to hear several funny-sounding names, but the one I want you to pay attention to is Emmanuel. When you hear Emmanuel, I want you to listen for what that name means. And when you listen for what the name means, I want you to listen for why it's an encouragement for us today, okay? Now, that in mind, let me, let me pray, asking the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Would you bow with me? Father, we praise You for Your Word, and we ask that as we come to Your Word, that You would give us the, the peace and the comfort of Jesus, that we might know that regardless of our struggles, we are not alone. It is in His name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start uh, putting verses 1 and 2 before us, but this passage is all the story of God's sovereign grace worked out in history and worked out in our lives, and it is all, every bit of it, the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Verses 1 and 2, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, Son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook. Trees of the forest shake before the wind. 
hopefully you remember in our time in 1 Kings, we, we heard the story of, of the division of God's kingdom. The kingdom was divided into two kingdoms. The, the southern kingdom of Judah that was the home of Jerusalem and was led by the Davidic line of kings. And then there was the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. It was led by the line of kings that followed in the footsteps of the idolatrous king Jeroboam. Now, at the time of this writing, Ahaz was the king in Judah, and Pekah was the king in Israel. And you might have also heard that Israel, in, that, in those verses and in the rest of the passage, will also be known by the name Ephraim. Ephraim was the second son of Joseph. But there was a third nation mentioned in those two verses, Syria. And Syria was led by King Rezin. Now, the context of this whole story is that Israel and Syria formed an unholy alliance and conspired to wage war against the people of God in Judah. They gathered at the footsteps of, of Jerusalem to attack, but, but rather than attacking, they set the stage for a siege. King Ahaz heard about it, and he shook with fear. With that, we pick back up with verses 3 through 6. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tobiel as the king in the midst of it. The Lord sent his prophet Isaiah to go and comfort his people with his word. That's what the Lord our God does. This is what he does for us today. He comforts us with his word. And the word that God sent Isaiah to offer was meant to be a calming word. Do not fear. Do not be faint. And that encouragement came as a word that was rooted in the strength of God. And so as God offered it, He called those opposing nations and the kings that were leading them smoldering stumps of firebrands. Now, that means that there was some flame there. The flame was flickering out. It was, it was near gone. In other words, they didn't need to worry about it. The Lord was saying that they're the equivalent of, of some cigarette butt that's about to be flicked to the side of the street and passed by. But those smoldering stumps of firebrands were offering threats 
of violence. That's the because that you see at the beginning of verse 5. And because they were offering threats of violence in verses 5 and 6, the Lord speaks into those threats the word of truth that we find in verses 7 through 9. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, the Lord is saying, the heads of those rogue nations, they're just mere men. But the Lord your God is sovereign over them all. And the Lord our God cancels their threats. And so within 65 years of this prophecy, these threats are going to be obliterated. So be firm in faith. Faith in the sovereign work and the sovereign timing of the Lord our God. We hear that, and maybe we might think of it the way we think of some empty commands, empty encouragements that we often are tempted to give. From time to time, we'll tell our our friends or tell others, hey, it's okay. Everything will be just fine. Hang in there. But when we offer those those empty commands, they're they're based on nothing more than a wish. It's not what we find here. The Lord, after giving this command, he, He graciously offers the encouragement of a sign. Verses 10 through 12. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. The sign that the Lord offers is not just any old sign. He, he tells Ahaz to ask, whatever you want. The Lord is giving Ahaz a blank check. Now understand the grace behind this, 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 rec- this offer of a sign. It comes after the acknowledgement of, of fear. The Lord is acknowledging the fear that Ahaz is experiencing, and so he graciously gives him the offer of a sign. But Ahaz refuses. And his refusal, at first blush, has the ring of humility. No, I, I, I won't put the Lord to the test. Maybe you've heard those words elsewhere. Jesus said them, as a matter of fact, when when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. Now, when Jesus said those words, he was citing the Scripture, the Word of God, Deuteronomy 6.16. And it was an obedience to God. But the difference here is that Ahaz is not being tempted by Satan. He is being commanded by the Lord. And yet he refused. Because he'd already made up his mind. The Lord responds, verses 13 through 17. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, 
Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary, my God, also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the promise. The promised sign. And I want us to consider it on three levels. The first level I'd like for us to consider this sign is, is that it's a sign to Ahaz. It's a sign of hardness. Have you ever been offered help, knowing full well that you needed help, but you refused that offer? Maybe it was pride that caused you to reject it. Maybe you were holding out for something better. But in time, you saw you needed that help that was offered, and you went on to wish you had taken it. Sometimes when we do this, we get a visual reminder of those bad choices. Maybe it's constant interaction with the person who once offered us the help that we needed. Maybe there's a little bit of that going on in this text with the sign of the baby to to Ahaz, only I believe that it's it's worse than that. It's not just the a reminder. There's a hardening that is taking place here. I think Romans 1 actually gives us some insights into this. Romans 1 is the Lord teaching us through the Apostle Paul something of his sovereign creative power. He's also teaching us something about the, the heart and even the deceitfulness of man. In Romans 1, we see that God has revealed himself to all mankind. That we know and are without excuse as to our understanding that there is a God in heaven because we see him in his creative power. We, we look outside and we, we see the creation. We look at the image bearers around this room and, and we know that there is a God. And yet Romans 1 tells us that, that sinful man will suppress that truth because sinful man will look instead of looking to God, will we'll look to our, our worldly desires. And over time as we do that, as we suppress that truth of the knowledge of God, God gives sinful man over to that, those sinful desires. It's a process of hardening in which the Lord allows our already hardened hearts to pursue our sinful ways. We harden ourselves, and the Lord gives us over to that hardening. Ahab seems to have made up his mind in this text. He's facing worldly threats, and so he seeks a worldly solution. The Lord offered a promise, but it wasn't the promised sign that Ahaz wanted. He had opposing armies at his doorstep. He didn't want a baby. 
He wanted an army. So he looked to Assyria. The Lord offered a promise. Assyria offered an army and Ahaz took the army. In doing so, he rejected the sign not because he was humble, but because he was hardened and he refused to trust the Lord his God. And yet, the Lord still gave a sign. But the text makes clear that that sign was no longer for Ahaz. We, as Southerners, know the difference between you and y'all. One is singular, one is plural. Verse 11 refers to the singular. Verse 11, Isaiah speaks to Ahaz and he says, Ask, ask the Lord your, singular, God, for a sign. But after Ahaz refuses, verse 14, the, the sign is offered not to you, but to y'all. The fulfillment was offered to Judah, plural. There's the same contrast between uh, verse 11 and verse 13. In verse 11, Isaiah, speaking to Ahaz, speaks of the Lord your God. But upon the refusal in verse 13, Isaiah has given up on declaring Yahweh the God of Ahaz, and he says, the Lord my God. There seems to be a turning away that is taking place in this text. It's a giving over, similar to what we are taught in Romans chapter 1. And so the sign is given, but I believe it is for the people of Judah. And there, the sign not of hardening, but of hope. You know, we're familiar with computers, the, the sign of the hourglass. You, you plug in some request from your computer and, and you get an, on some computers an hourglass, on some, some little turning dial. But what is that communicating to us? It says, hang tight, hold on a minute. The computer's processing and very soon you'll get the answer that you're looking for. There's a sense in which this sign offered to Judah is that hourglass, only it's not an hourglass or a, a turning dial, it's a baby. Now, before I explain, I want to be clear, I'm, I'm offering to you a dual fulfillment of this prophecy, a near-term and a long-term fulfillment of the prophecy. It often happens with those Old Testament prophecies. Last week, our family got to... Uh, get away for uh, a little time together. We, we went on a hike. We went to this scenic overlook. You could see miles off into the distance. Now, where we were, that, that scenic overlook didn't look out over mountains. It looked out over hills. But you've probably done the same when you've been to the mountains. You look out, and what do you see? You see a series of, of peaks. And from that distance, they look like they are one right after another. But in actuality, they are a great distance apart. Now, for the Old Testament prophets, they, they looked out to the fulfillment that God was promising and they saw a series of peaks that looked very close together and yet they were centuries apart in the near-term fulfillment and the final fulfillment. Let's first look to the near-term fulfillment. 
like us, the people of Judah, they faced a long-term struggle with sin and they needed hope in that struggle with sin. But they were also facing invading armies. And they didn't have time to wait. They needed a near-term hope. And so God gave them a sign that He was working and they were not alone. It was a baby. And before that baby would grow to maturity, the threat would pass. Verse 15, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. To refuse the evil and choose the good is a marker of of growth to maturity. And, And what the prophecy is saying is that before this baby reaches maturity, or when he reaches maturity, there will be peace in the land, and he will eat the food of the promised land. So, verse 16, For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Before maturity comes, the threat will pass. It begs the question, who's the child? Who's the child that is prophesied here? Remember, we're looking for a near-term fulfillment. So we look to the next chapter in Scripture, Isaiah chapter 8. And in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3, Isaiah had a son. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said to me, call his name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. No, it wasn't a miraculous virgin birth. Perhaps this was a second wife that Isaiah had taken. Perhaps she was a a virgin prior to conception. But at any rate, there was a child. And verse 4 connects the age of the the child to the hope of Judah. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. That that hourglass that we see on the computer is telling us, hang tight. Your answer is coming soon. The baby is telling the people of Judah, hold tight. Your answer, your hope is coming soon. And it did. The prophecy was offered in the year 735. Within three years, Syria fell. Ten more, Israel would fall. And then within 65 years, as verse 8 had mentioned, Israel would be culturally wiped out through the intermarriage of the Assyrians with the northern kingdom of Israel forming the Samaritan Race. The baby was a sign that God was working. He's working then. And He's working now. Redemption is happening. Yet, there is a deeper, truer meaning behind the sign. It was not merely a sign for Judah. This child, the child, is a sign for us. Isaiah 7, 14 finds its ultimate fulfillment not in Isaiah's son, but in Emmanuel. It was Emmanuel for us. 
is not a sign of a baby to come, but of a sign fulfilled. First, we need to see that this is a miraculous sign. Isaiah 7, 14 speaks of a virgin birth. The Hebrew word captured here refers to a maiden. A maiden is a young, unmarried woman who is sexually pure. In other words, she is characterized by her virginity. Now, it was so understood by the Hebrews that this word was referring to a virgin that later when the Septuagint was written, the Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew, that the Greek word that is specific for a virgin was used to translate. But here's the thing. Septuagint was written several hundred years before the birth of Christ. The sign is pointing beyond the immediate time frame to a later miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. But not only was the sign miraculous, it was meaningful. The child was to be named Emmanuel. Now kids, I told you to listen for the meaning of Emmanuel. Here it is. God with us. God with us. Now that had a particular meaning in Isaiah's day, but it also has a particular meaning for us today. Now, because I'm talking to you, and we'll let the parents listen in, but some of you who have sat with me in, in communicants class will remember that, that oftentimes when we talk about signs, I, I show you two different signs to, to talk about that. We're, we're talking then about sacraments, but but one of the signs that I show you kids is, is a sign of, is a road sign. Trustful. It's a sign from out on the interstate. And it points in a direction. It points toward destination. The direction of hope. We've been talking about a sign here. And, and the sign of the child is a sign that God came to be with us. God the Son Jesus. That's one way that we think about a sign pointing to our direction. But there's another sign I show you kids, and it's, it's the sign of men at work. Now, the men at work sign is not a sign pointing us in a particular direction. It is a sign that tells us that something is happening. Emmanuel points us to our hope God is with us. It also tells us that something is happening. The God who is with us is the God who is at work in us. He's the God of sovereign grace. The God who's been working out His sovereign grace in all of history, all of redemptive history, and He is working out that sovereign grace in our very lives. Remember Ahaz? He faced worldly threats. What about you? Some of those threats are, are external. There are invading armies in this world. But they're also downturning economies. 
And when we experience that downturn in the economy or the invading army or whatever the external threat is, where are you tempted to turn? Like Ahaz, are you tempted to ignore the God of sovereign grace and cling to worldly measures, whatever those measures might be? For the threats aren't merely external. They're also internal. We struggle with the temptation of sin. And we struggle with loneliness that amplifies that temptation. When the earthly powers are stomping at the gate, whether they be external or internal, the fear that I am alone builds anxiety. It's the fear that my hope rests in me and my ability to defeat my enemies and my ability to overcome the threats and my ability to overcome temptation. You know this. Loneliness magnifies the fear. Loneliness magnifies the anxiety. But into that struggle, the Lord has given us a sign. It is the sign of the child who has come. The Lord Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is the one who came as the Word become flesh. Who has dwelt among us. Meaning, He has walked a mile in our shoes. He knows what this life is like. He can relate to us as one who has struggled with temptation. He knows us and He loves us. And He has given us an additional promise as He ascended into heaven, having completed His work here on earth. He gave the promise that He would not leave us alone. He made good on that promise through the permanent indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The sign reminds you and I, we are not alone. I don't know about you, I need reminders. Because I forget, and that brings me to the gift of Advent. One of the truths that I have been blessed with, one of the truths that has been bringing me joy lately is our God is a celebrating God. How sweet is that? Our God is a God who celebrates, and He has called us to be a celebrating people. But here's the thing. He calls us to celebrate the evidences of, the stories of His past faithfulness. Because those are the sustaining stories that we have in our current and future struggles. My dear bride has shared with me lately, I have to look back so that I can look forward. That's the model that the Lord our God gives us throughout Scripture. And so Advent provides a rhythm of remembrance and renewal. Like Ahaz, we face worldly threats. And we will continue to face worldly threats. There will be hard times to come. So where will we look? Well, we've been given a gracious sign that our God is with us. 
And like Ahaz, that gift of a sign comes with an encouragement or an exhortation, depending on your perspective. Be firm in faith. We can do so looking to the fulfillment in Jesus. You see, Isaiah 7, 14 is not the last time that we see these words of promise. They come back again in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph was dealing with his own worldly threats and the very real struggle with loneliness in the face of them. His fiancée showed up pregnant. And you know people, they talk. Doubts creep in, loneliness suffocates. And so the Lord reminded Joseph of the old sign and of its final fulfillment. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A pointer to the fulfillment that we look back on in Jesus Christ. And without diminishing the meaning and importance of the name Emmanuel, the angel gave another name for the child, Jesus. Because in coming to be with man, God the Son would fulfill another prophecy. The prophecy of a Redeemer. One who would come to save His people from their sins. And He would fulfill that prophecy, crushing the head of the serpent by taking on those sins upon Himself. And thereby bearing the wrath of God completely satisfying it for all time so that we, in Christ, might be reconciled to God the Father. Emmanuel is our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the promise of sovereign grace that is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. Ahaz, he turned away from that promised sign. But Joseph was firm. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this Advent... Let the anticipation build. This Advent, we deal with our own struggles. But the sign and its fulfillment, they are part of the rhythm of renewal that we are given by our celebrating God. 
And so we anticipate that celebration. A celebration of what has already been fulfilled. Our salvation. This Advent, let us be renewed in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Father, you're a good and gracious God. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. And you have given us the certainty of hope in Jesus. Fill us with that reminder this season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.